Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Many Christians in the early church met their end, met their death in the mouths of lions, at the ends of spears. And why was that? What was the, what was the charge that was laid against them that they should have such a, a grisly death? Well, there wasn't just one, but one that came up more often than you might have guessed would surprise us, which is this. Many Christians were accused of being atheists. Wait a second. Isn't to be a Christian the opposite of being an atheist? Why would they be convicted of such a charge? Well, look at it from the perspective of Greeks, Romans, 2,000 years ago. They would ask these Christians. They would converse with them. They would hear about what they were teaching. They would say, okay, so you Christian folk, do you have a temple? They say, no, we, we don't have a temple. The church is the temple of God, Jesus Christ. He and his body, his body itself is the temple. They say, okay, all right, let's see. No temple. All right, uh, do you have priests? And they're like, well, we're all of us priests. Every one of us, by virtue of our baptism, are priests. They're like, okay, that's weird. So you guys, all of you offer sacrifices. No, we don't offer sacrifices. Jesus was the once for all sacrifice. We don't need any more sacrifices. No sacrifices. Okay, interesting. Um, and how many gods do you have? 10, 20, 1,000? How many do you have? We worship one God. One God? One God. That's practically no gods. These guys are atheists, was the charge that was leveled against them, that they don't believe in the gods, that they didn't believe in the religion that had been practiced of that day. And so they looked to the world like they were atheists. And so they were convicted of death. A modern theologian by the name of Tim Keller says, actually, maybe they weren't so far off. That in fact, there's many things about Christianity, about the gospel, that upends the way that the world's religions often work. We tend to just lump Christianity along in there with Islam and with Buddhism and with Judaism, with all these other world religions in good standing. But in point of fact, the gospel is something totally different. Tim Keller says that in many ways, the redemption that you and I have in Christ Jesus is in fact the anti-religion. And I find it interesting that in today's gospel reading, we have the disciples coming up to the Lord Jesus. They've got some questions, some requests for him. And in the process, they show themselves to be thoroughly religious. They demonstrate the stark contrasts that are there between religion, human religion, and the gospel, the divine redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. And so this morning, I want to unpack a few of those contrasts that we see in the gospel reading with respect to the lens that religion looks through versus the gospel, with respect to the, the confidence where, and the source of your confidence if you're merely religious or if you're believing in the redemption in Christ. And then finally, the ambition that religion has versus the ambition of the gospel. So let's go back to that story. You got James and John, a couple of the disciples, and they come up to Jesus and they have a question. And don't you just love the way that they approach Jesus? Hey, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. If my kids come up and say, hey, Dad, we want you to do whatever we ask of you, my answer is, no, next question, right? But Jesus says, okay, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus is exceedingly patient. What do you want me to do for you? 
They say, well, Lord, we want you to uh, have us, sit. we want you to save some seats, some assigned seats at your right hand and at your left when you come into your glory. Is that fair? Will that be okay, Lord? Now, let's pause right there, okay? This is their request, but it betrays the lens through which they are looking. And the lens that they are looking through, the religious lens is this, that life is all about glory. How you can obtain and attain glory. What do you need to do in order to have that glorious position? And from this perspective, religion just becomes a kind of baptized self-help. Like if you just work a little bit harder, if you do a little bit more, then God should reward you, should bless you. I mean, James and John are thinking, surely we've been with Jesus all this time. We've had to follow him all around. We left a, a pretty lucrative job we had in the fishing business. And so I think, you know, we've got something coming to us, right? This is also the religious mindset, viewing life through the lens of glory, a glory that is received, that is achieved rather than being received. That's the way that we tend to look at it. Think back to the Old Testament story of Job and Job's friends. They were thoroughly religious on this score as well. They had in mind a, a way of life and a way of relating to God that, okay, you are going to do well by doing good. In other words, you keep the commandments, you live a pretty good life, then God should glorify you. Then he should bless you. He should make things easier on you. And Job's friends all say to Job, hey, Job, why are you suffering, buddy? What did you do wrong? Uh, well, how did, how did you, you run uh, awry from the Lord that you should be suffering in this way, that your kids should die, you're losing your home, your livestock, all these things? Clearly, Job, if you were more faithful, if you were a better believer, you wouldn't be going through all of this. Now, if you know the story of Job, it was nothing of the sort. This wasn't the, the point that Job had done something or even one particular sin that God was holding against him. But this is the religious mindset. This is the lens of religion, that through that glory view, we think, okay, I will do well by doing good. If I try a little bit harder, if I do a little bit better, then life will be good for me. But what's the view of the gospel, of the good news that Jesus brings? From Jesus' perspective, we view things not through the lens of glory, but through the cross. From the lens of the cross, you and I recognize that we don't deserve anything, that our just deserts are death. In fact, that everything we receive in this life is gratuitous. It's just gravy heaped upon gravy from God that we have not earned, that we have not achieved, that we simply and solely receive from him. And this is underscored by the fact Jesus says, okay, you guys want to sit at my right hand and at my left? It's not for me to say, but it's for those for whom it's been prepared. And who was it prepared for? The two thieves at Jesus' right hand and at his left. You want to understand what this life is like of following the Lord? It's not a matter of glory unto glory, but of following him in the way of the cross at the right hand and at his left means that you're prepared to suffer, to struggle, to die to yourself. And in so doing, to see life aright, to see reality as it truly is through that lens of Jesus' own suffering for us. So this is the first way that religion contrasts with redemption, the way of the world versus the ways of God. But James and John aren't done. 
So they say, okay, Lord, we know what we want you to do for us. We want to sit at your right hand, your left. Jesus says, okay, guys, not so fast. Are you able to drink the cup that I am going to drink? By which Jesus doesn't just mean we're going to share the common cup and are you germaphobes or are you willing to do that? No. Jesus is talking about his suffering. He's talking about what awaits him. Are you willing to drink the cup? Are you able to do it? And James and John kind of look at each other and they say, yes, we are able. Truly, Lord, we know. We have self-confidence. We believe in ourselves. This is the way of religion. A mere human religion is it finds confidence in the self. Confidence in the self. And because, well, I've been a good person, because I'm a faithful, obedient Christian, then I know that I can be confident before the throne of God. But here's the deal. Anytime that your confidence is in yourself, you end up volleying back and forth like a ping pong ball between despair and pride. Despair when you're not able to keep up your end of the bargain. When you find, oh, it turns out I wasn't able to be as faithful, as obedient, as good as I thought it was. Or on the other hand, when you think that you are doing pretty well in your religious life, you fall into a kind of pride. We see this in another one of the disciples' lives. Think of in the life of Peter. Peter is flitting back and forth between this pride and despair as he says to Jesus, I will die for you. I will go with you all the way to the bitter end. And then where do we see him next? Denying the Lord and weeping bitterly as the legs have been utterly taken out from under his own self-confidence. No, our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence, according to the gospel, is in Christ. See, that's where it comes from. It's not in ourselves, but in our Savior. Our confidence, the, the basis of our hope, is not in the self and it's sanctified, but in Christ and him crucified. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress. Because I am clothed in Christ, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is shifting sand. If we stand, if our confidence is based on ourselves, on our achievements, on our accomplishments, on our goodness or obedience, then we are always going to sink and fall flat on our face, as in fact Peter and all the disciples do. But when your confidence is in Christ, when you're able to look honestly at yourself and you know, no, Lord, I'm not able, but to say, I know that you are, then you have that sure and certain hope in our Lord. That's the way of the gospel in contrast to the way of, of human religion. But there's one more thing about this, one piece that's maybe the most human of all in this story. You notice the disciples the rest of the disciples, the other 10, they see and they hear what James and John request, and then Mark tells us they were indignant. Now, why were they indignant? Were they, were they indignant because they were thinking, huh, James, John, Jesus has taught us better. We ought to serve others rather than trying to ascend to this glorious position. We look not through the lens of glory, but through the lens of the cross. Please, dear brothers, is that why they're indignant? Are they indignant in the way that kids are indignant when somebody else cuts in line and they think, rats, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> I dare say that it's the latter. The rest of the disciples are looking at James and John who are asking for the seat at the right and the left hand of Jesus and they're thinking, oh, they beat us to the punch. 
still having that kind of human sense of competition where how can I get a little bit ahead? In other words, demonstrating that religious kind of ambition. See, religious ambition is in many ways just, again, baptizing the ways of the world. And the way of the world is always to try and climb the ladder. Let's go higher. That religious ambition says, what can I do for God? It's always focused on me, me, me. What am I doing in order to ascend to those heavenly heights? That's the religious ambition. But the gospel ambition that Jesus lays out completely turns that on its head. In fact, with four little words, Jesus inverts that whole worldview. He says, look guys, you know how the Gentiles do it. They, they lord it over one another. They seek to go up and over each other. But Jesus says, not so with you. Not so with you. With those four words, he totally flips the script. He says, instead of going up and over, now, as followers of me, you go down under. Not to Australia, see. But in that posture of humility and service, the greatest among you must be the servant of all. The leaders must be the slave. This is the way of our Lord. This is the, the way of the gospel that contrasts so sharply the ways of human religion, that our ambition is not to be upwardly mobile, but to be downwardly mobile, to get down lower so that we can lift others up, to serve others in the way that our Lord Jesus did, the one who stooped down in order to wash his disciples' feet, the one who came all the way down from heaven, considering his equality with God not a thing to be grasped, but instead laid it all aside for you and for me, who came not to be served, but to serve, see, our religious ambitions of climbing up to God totally miss the fact that while we are going up to him, he is coming down to us. See, this is the way that the gospel works. It's all about Jesus stooping down to meet you and me. This is why in our Lutheran tradition, we speak of worship as the divine service, the divine service. It's not the service that you and I are rendering for the divine, just the contrary. It is how he comes down to serve you and me, comes to us in his gifts, comes to us in his very presence. We cannot climb to him, and so he reaches down to us. It's the way of the gospel that contrasts so sharply with the ways of human religion. But maybe there's one more thing to say about this contrast. The thing that really suffuses and, and undergirds all of it, and why it is, I mean, we bear, and I sympathize with the disciples, the way that we bear this heavy load of religion, thinking of all the ways, all the things that we need to do in order to be acceptable to God. When in fact, it's just the opposite. We're always wondering in our heart of hearts, trying to answer this question of, of our own self-worth and our value. But under it all, Jesus is showing us the way of the gospel that, it, that is so much pure and more liberating. I, th I think of the movie Rocky, Sylvester Stallone, right? Not Rocky 1, 2, 3, two, three 4, 5, 6, or continued, but Rocky 1, the best one. And you remember Rocky. Rocky, he's, he's just that hard scrabble guy from the streets of Philadelphia, and everybody has always told him, and he believed it himself, that he's nothing, right? That he's nobody. But he gets this chance to fight Apollo Creed, not Apostles Creed, but Apollo Creed. And this is his opportunity. This is his shot. But, 
the night before the fight, he's walking around, he, he goes in, he sees the mat, he's just thinking to himself and he realizes, I've got, I've got no chance to beat this guy. I can't do it. He goes back home, meets his wife, Adrian. And he tells her, Adrian, I, I'm not going to beat him. I can't beat him. But he says, I just want to go the distance. And why? Because if I can just go the distance, then I will know for the first time in my life that I'm not a bum. And you know, that's the question in every one of our hearts that we try to answer things that we do or achieve or have to prove to ourselves, I'm not a bum. I've got value. I've got worth. Friends, you are of inestimable worth. Not because you take Apollo Creed the distance, but because the God of all creation has stooped down to meet you and me. He came not to be served by us, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for you. If you wonder whether you are of great value to God, look no further than the blood of his son. That's the cost that he was willing to pay for you and for me. This Savior who stoops down to feed you with his very body and blood in with and under the bread and wine who says, I came not to be served but to serve, to give myself to you so that you might know, so that you might come and hear these words, take and eat, take and drink and know that you are of more value than anything else in this world in the sight of God. For this Christ Jesus laid down his life. With that ransom, you and I know that we are worse than we ever thought. We are bad enough that the Savior had to die for us, but we are loved enough that he was glad to do it, see, at the cost of his life, to send the message clear and true to you and me that no religion could ever answer, that no religion could ever satisfy, that is given to us solely and simply through the blood, through the death and the resurrection of our Savior Jesus, so that he might tell to you and me in ways that we can know and take to heart for time eternal. You are not a bum because Christ Jesus is your ransom. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.